0: Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. Well, there was a man, a businessman, who was late for a seminar. And as he was driving around to go to his business meeting, and he was unable to find parking, and so he pulled into a parking spot behind a church. And he rushed out, got out of his car, and it was after he had gotten out of the car and was starting to walk away that he spotted this sign. It said, no parking. Forgiveness is our business, but don't make it any harder than it already is. (laughs) Isn't that true, though, that for whatever reason, forgiveness, extending forgiveness, is a very hard thing to do. Why? Is it so hard to extend forgiveness to others? Well, as right before we jump into our passage, which is in Matthew 18 today, so you can go ahead and start and take a or open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. but before we read our text for today, I want to quickly suggest three reasons why extending forgiveness can be so hard. and the first reason is because of our pride, our pride gets in the way. Our pride can make us feel like the person who's wronged us doesn't deserve our forgiveness. We can often make ourselves out to be better than that person or a big part of us likes to kind of have the upper hand in a relationship. You know that maybe I'm a better person than them or I don't fall into that sin as regularly. Forgiving someone forces us then to let go of our pride. The second reason is because we often like to play the victim. There's something in our human nature that often wants to kind of wallow in that self-pity that if we've been mistreated by someone if I've been mistreated you should feel sorry for me. Maybe we like to have an excuse for holding on to the pain that we might be experiencing. The third reason, which is is really the reason that we're going to look more deeply at today, is really simple. It's hard-heartedness. Maybe you've known someone who often withholds forgiveness. Or maybe that's been you. And there's just no kindness that someone else can do to you. And no love that can be accepted, no matter what, no matter what, you withhold that forgiveness, and it can't be explained in any other way than a hard heart. And that's what we see today in this parable that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 21. But as we look at this, I'm convinced that really the primary reason why we find it so difficult to forgive others is because. We, first and foremost, don't have an accurate view of what true forgiveness is all about, or we can lose sight of what forgiveness is. We can lose sight of it altogether. The people in Jesus' day, they really had lost sight of what forgiveness really was all about. Jesus, as we know, had taught his disciples many things that were very countercultural, things that were foreign to their thinking. And in this text that we're going to look at today, Jesus had been teaching his disciples principles in in dealing with others, dealing with those who have wronged them. And it was then, after this teaching, that Peter came up to Jesus with a big question. Matthew 18, verse 21. This is what Peter asked Jesus. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Interesting. Seven times? What's significant about seven? Well, Jewish teaching was that three times was enough to show a forgiving spirit to someone. And so Peter is thinking like, hey, I want to earn some points with Jesus here. You know, I've been taught that I should forgive someone three times, but I'm going to go for seven. I'm going to see what Jesus says about that. So Peter is being generous in his offer to forgive someone up to seven times, but Jesus' answer must have astonished Peter and must have astonished the other disciples when he said this. He said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say 70 times seven Jesus is, is making a point here. Jesus is saying that the number doesn't matter when it comes to forgiving others of their sin. The point he's making is that they're to forgive without keeping count, without keeping track. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most famous passages in Scripture, we often hear it at weddings, the love chapter. It says, love keeps no What? No records of wrongs. And that's what we're going to see here today in Matthew 18. We're going to start reading at verse 23. Jesus tells them this parable. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As we look at this parable today, we're going to see three keys, three ways that God wants to equip us to forgive others. Three keys to forgiving others. And the first, we really first have to understand what forgiveness is. We need to a- have an accurate picture of what true forgiveness is. And what we see here in this first scene, we, we kind of see three different scenes here in this parable. What we see in this first scene is this servant being brought to the king who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, one talent was equivalent to about 20 years' wages for a laborer, okay? Okay? So to help us understand the magnitude of this debt, let's attempt to see what it would compare to in our day and age. And so right now we know that minimum wage in California has gone up. I believe it's $14 $14 an hour, I think, as of 2021. So if a person was making minimum wage in California after about 20 years, he would have made approximately $600,000 after 20 years. And so, 600000 times 10000 would be about $6 billion. Jared, am I correct in that math? Okay, he's, he's off today. He's off duty. <laughs> but it's about $6 billion of debt. I mean... That amount of debt, it, can you even comprehend that? I mean, it's unfathomable. Like, I, if someone told you that, you know, if you got a letter from, let's say, the IRS or something and said that you owe $6 billion, I mean, how would you even begin to comprehend that? We just, in our minds, we can't comprehend it. So the point being made here is that this man's debt is beyond comprehension. And not only... Is it beyond what we can imagine? But it's impossible for him to pay. And isn't it interesting that yet there's still something that this man feels that he can do? When he's told that he's going to have to be sold along with his family to be able to repay the debt, he says, no, don't, please, please have mercy. I will repay it. Well, there was no possible way that he was going to be able to repay this debt. As we seek to develop this proper understanding of forgiveness, what we need to recognize is that every one of us find ourselves in his same position as we stand before a holy God. Every one of us is in this enormous debt. This debt is sin against a holy God. God does not allow sin in his presence. He is perfect. He is holy. And he does not allow sin in his presence. And just like this servant who is brought before the king to give account for what he owed, we find ourselves in that same position as we stand before a holy God. We know this because of what the scripture says. Romans 3.23 it's very clear all have sinned all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god and literally what that means is that every one of us has missed the mark in some way and so often what we can do even within the church or especially even in our day and age you know when when you shouldn't tell someone something that they've done wrong or you know we we think we're good enough people right think, well, I haven't really done anything. What, what did I do to have this enormous debt before a holy God? Well, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law, whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. Wow. So just one tiny little mistake we're guilty of breaking God's entire law. The fall in the Garden of Eden happened with one act, didn't it? One act of disobedience against a holy God. Guilty of breaking his whole law. And what we know, it's very clear also from Romans, Romans chapter 6, is that what we deserve because of our sin is death, an eternal punishment, eternal separation from a holy God in a place called hell. Because each one of us are like this servant who is guilty before his master. An enormous debt that is beyond our comprehension. Just as he stands condemned and guilty before the king, we stand guilty before God. But just like the servant in that very moment before standing before the master and realizing his debt, we do the same thing that he does and fall on our knees, fall before him when he confronts us with our sin, when when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to convict us and we realize that debt, we fall before a holy God in humility and pleading for grace, pleading for mercy. And while we know that God is just and God is holy, he has to punish sin, we also know that he is equally compassionate and equally loving and loves us so much that he provided a way to pay for that debt. Romans 6, 23 continues, Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 26 is a picture of that. It says, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay everything. It says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Something very important to note here is that when the king forgave his debt, it happened immediately. The phrase, it says, released him and forgave the debt, it literally means dismissed, and it was sent away And that's exactly what God does with our sin. When we cry out to him, we receive immediate forgiveness. God is not a God of compassion and love and says, well, I'll forgive you if you do blank. Or I'll forgive you when you do blank. Forgiveness is sin wiped clean and forgotten. Psalm 103.12 says as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transge- transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. This is what forgiveness is. And if we're going to have the power and the strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to forgive others, we need to be recipients first and foremost of that forgiveness that God wants to extend to each one of us. So first we need to understand what forgiveness is. But the second part of this is that we need to understand and see what unforgiveness is. We see a picture of that here. A picture of what unforgiveness is and what unforgiveness does. Just kind of by way of illustration here, our kids are getting to the age now where they're starting to keep track of some of their own money. They all have their own wallets, uh, or at least the older three have their own wallets now, and you know they ha- have some coins in there, maybe a few dollar bills here and there. If it's their birthday, you know, they kind of stuff it quite a bit until we can make it over to the bank or whatever. Well, one particular child has a particular problem keeping track of his wallet. And uh, you never know where this wallet is, and you never know where you're going to find it. For example, last year, about a year ago, this particular child, as you can tell I'm not using any names here, this particular child had his Lightning Lightning McQueen wallet, blue Lightning McQueen, I can't even say Lightning McQueen, wow, wallet right out here after church and just kind of playing catch with it, you know, throwing it up and down. This is also the child that likes to know, like, what happens if I do blank? So decides what would happen if I throw it onto the roof? Well, quickly found out that that wallet is not gonna roll back to him. And so there was that wallet sitting on the roof and uh, Christy and I kind of played tough love and said, you know, we're not just going to go rush off and get a ladder and climb up there and get this wallet, you know? And But I said, but we're going to be replacing that roof pretty soon. So maybe when, you know, the construction workers come, maybe they can, if it stays up there that long, maybe they'll get it, whatever. Well, many months went by because of COVID. That work got pushed off to, I think we started it in September. Anyway, st- construction workers come and uh, they... We are working up there one day and I remembered, oh, I should ask them if they found that wallet. Well, w- it was like a wild goose chase to track down if somebody had taken that wallet off the roof. So yeah, I call up there, whoever's up there, did you guys happen to find a Lightning McQueen wallet up on the roof when you started taking the shingles off? And yeah, somebody found a wallet up here and they handed it off to someone else who handed it off to someone else. And eventually someone said they turned it into the office. So I asked in the Asked Naomi in the office. She didn't know anything about it. And turned out they had given it to the preschool office. The preschool director gave it to one of the teachers, thinking it was one of the preschool kids. Finally, finally, I was able to track down this wallet and got the wallet, and there was like, I think, $2 in there. (laughs) Well, fast forward several months. Last week, our family on Saturday went for a little walk. Uh, We live in Old Town. We went around the corner from our house to one of the kids' favorite places, grown to be one of their favorite places, It's a thrift store, the Christians Acting Together thrift store right across from Dizdar Park. Well, that particular child brought his wallet along. This time, it wasn't the Lightning McQueen. It was a red duct tape wallet that was a hand-me-down from the Coons, Danny and Marianne Coons. I think it was Emmanuel's or something. And so this duct tape wallet takes it to the thrift store, they, you know, they go over in the toy section to see what kind of new treasures they find in the toy section for really cheap. And I noticed that wallet was in his hand. When we got home, no wallet. So, Dad, where's the wallet? And we're looking around, I don't, you know, look over here, look over there, go look in the stroller. No, it's not anywhere to be found. It's like, can, can you go back and look? Can you go back to the store? I said, well, now it's after 2 o'clock. They closed it too. It's after 2 o'clock. They just closed. Well, can you call? Okay, well, I'll call. Well, lo and behold, they were still there. Did you happen to find a red wallet anywhere? No, we didn't find anything. But we'll look and we'll give you a call back. Well, a minute later, yes, we found it's like a red duct tape, duct tape wallet. Yeah, that's it, that's it. But there's nothing in it. It, Someone saw it and took, I think it was literally like $2, (laughs) left it there, took the money, but left the wallet. So I said, well, we can come get it. We live just around the corner. We'll be there in like two minutes. So we go get it, and uh, these nice ladies that were closing up the shop said, here's your wallet, but did you have something in it? And he said, yeah, I think I had like $2 in it. And they said, well, it's gone. Somebody must have taken it. And, you know, they saw the look on his face. And this one lady said, hold on. I'm going to go get something for you. So she goes out to her car, looks around in her car, comes back with $2 bills and says, here, I just feel bad that somebody stole your money. And here's, here's $2 and... Also gave him a $2 bill. I mean, to a child, a 2 that's, who's, you know, how many kids have seen a $2 bill? So he not only got his $2 back, but he got two more dollars and got a $2 bill, and wow! And, and I just thought, like, amazing! You know, and, you know, where's it going to be next week? <laughs> but we talked about how amazing that was and how gracious and how merciful that was. And I got to thinking about it later and I thought, what would happen, what would it feel like if that particular child got home and went after one of his brothers or sisters and said, hey, remember you borrowed a penny from me last week. You borrowed a penny from me. Give me back that penny. And they say, I don't have it. And he starts to choke them and starts to, whatever. I mean, think about it. And that's, what ha- that's what happens here, but on a much greater scale. In this second scene of the story, this servant who has just forgiven this enormous debt goes out and verse 27, it says, he found one of his fellow servants. Isn't that interesting? He went and found someone. Found his fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. What's 100 denarii? To understand this amount of money, we know that a denarii was one day's wages. Okay, so using the same figures that we used before, minimum wage comes out to about $11,000. Okay, so it's, you know, decent amount of money, $11,000. But when you compare that to the roughly $6 billion forgiven by the king, Jared, what's the percentage? No, I, won't, I won't put you on the spot. I can But this servant responds in the exact opposite way that the king did. It says here, it says, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And even though this second servant pleads with almost the exact same wording that that first servant used, instead of reacting with the same compassion and the same grace, it says that he threw the man into the debtor's prison. Verse 30, it says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Exact opposite of the forgiveness that, that servant experienced from his master. And this is what unforgiveness looks like. As believers who have been forgiven, who have experienced mercy and grace, our response should be mercy. The point that Jesus is making here is that when we experience that undeserved forgiveness that that God extends to us, it should then impact every one of our relationships. One person said it this way, mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. I'll repeat that. Mercy experienced will produce mercy demonstrated. And we see many other references in the New Testament to this concept of forgiving one another. Colossians 3.13 is a perfect example. It says, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We see... Here, through this story is that God takes this very seriously. Even the smallest sin that is not forgiven is it's not okay to just brush it off. And sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, but it was just a small thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I have forgiven that person or not. Or one of the other traps that we can fall into is we can add qualifiers to our forgiveness. Have you ever done that? Add a qualifier to forgiveness? Maybe this. I'll forgive you when, when I see that bad behavior go away. When you start to live differently, that's when I'll start forgiving you. Or I'll forgive you after... Dot, 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 Maybe after you apologize or after you admit what you've done or I'll forgive you if, if you promise not to do that again or this one. I think we're all guilty of this one. I'll forgive you, but but I'm still hurt. I'll forgive you, but I want you to know how much you hurt me. When someone has wronged us, what we're called to here is forgiveness without qualifiers. Do you realize that if you add a qualifier to your forgiveness, it's not forgiveness? When we've been wronged by someone, there are two crucial things that we need to remember. First, what someone might owe us is so small compared to what God has forgiven us. So small. It's like $11,000 compared to $6 billion. The second is that even the smallest sin that is not forgiven can have great consequences. And that's exactly what we see here at the end which leads us to the third key to forgiving others is to understand that both forgiveness and unforgiveness have consequences they both have consequences let's look again at what happens to the unforgiving servant starting at verse 31 it says when his fellow servants saw what had taken place they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Was he going to be able to pay that debt? No. This is the result of unforgiveness. What a sad ending, isn't it? We don't know exactly how it all ended up. If he then pleaded for forgiveness again and received that forgiveness and went and forgave his brother, we, we don't know. But what we know from scripture are the results of true forgiveness. Luke 6:37, Jesus says, "This, forgive and you will be forgiven." James 5:16 It says, "Therefore confess your sins to one another that you may be healed." Now often we hear that verse and we think, "Okay, in our community with one another, I'm going to confess ways that I've sinned against God, which is good and appropriate for us to share about those things. But what this is talking about here is in relationship with one another, confessing to one another where you've failed someone. And what does it say? It says when we do that, when we confess our sins to one another, we will be what? Healed says healed any of you who have ever experienced forgiveness from another person even in a small way have experienced the power the supernatural power of forgiveness isn't it amazing you've wronged someone or there's been some some issue in a relationship some unresolved conflict or some hurt and you come together and reconcile and both sides admit, completely admit and confess where they were wrong, there, it can feel kind of tense, but where that tension always goes away is when one person says, will you forgive me? And the other person says, yes, I forgive you right in that moment there's something supernatural that happens only through the power of the holy spirit and only through the power of what jesus has done for us but forgiveness really comes down to a choice and i want this is what i want you to think about as we wrap up here today this question When it comes to forgiveness or not forgiving do you want to live or do you want to just live with it do you want to live or do you just want to live with it and what do I mean by that well do you want to live do you want to live in the freedom of forgiveness do you want to live in that freedom of just letting go and experiencing the power of forgiveness Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. You may be forgiven. You may be free. Or do you want to live with it? Meaning that when you withhold that forgiveness, you live with bitterness. You live with resentment. And it's like living with an infected open wound. You live in that pain, and you probably all met an unforgiving person. And those people are bitter. It's not been healthy for them. They've not lived in freedom. They've not lived in joy. They've just learned to live with it but through the power of what Jesus has done for us on the cross because of his forgiveness. We have the power then to forgive others and the power to let go, to live in freedom and to allow that other person to live in freedom. Back on October 2nd of 2006, maybe some of you remember this day, a a dairy truck driver entered a one-room schoolhouse in the Amish community of Nickel Mines in Pennsylvania. The driver's name was Charles Roberts, and he entered that school and shot ten children, killing five of them before taking his own life with a gunshot. Of course, this was shocking. It was devastating, heartbreaking to this entire Amish community, to say the least. But this story of evil and just unspeakable grief and, and pain and heartbreak, God turned it into a story of forgiveness and a story of healing because it came down to a choice among that Amish community. In fact, the day of the shooting CNN reported overhearing the grandfather of one of the victims warning a younger, some of the younger people to not give in to hate. He said, we must not think evil of this man. Then another Amish man shared with reporters said this, Charles Roberts had a soul and now he's standing before a just God realizing God's got this. This man is a precious soul in the sight of God. And that same day of the shooting, several Amish neighbors visited Charles Robert's family to to comfort them. They brought baskets of food and, and other gifts. They stuffed his widow's mailbox with notes expressing their support and Forgiveness. As you can imagine, this was just so puzzling to the community around them and those that were following this story. How is that even possible? How could they forgive such a terrible evil? Well, the answer really was simple to that Amish community. One man said, It's all part of our Christian faith said, Jesus set the example. He forgave those who ordered and carried out his execution on Calvary Hill. That was what made it possible. And that didn't necessarily make the pain go away. It didn't make the grief go away. It didn't take away the devastation. It didn't take away the heartache but it allowed them to live in freedom, in the freedom of forgiveness. It allowed the other family to live in the freedom of forgiveness. What did Jesus say from the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's because of what Jesus did on that cross that we have the power, the ability to forgive others, to extend that healing and that restoration to others. So I want to ask you today, as we close, is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to forgive today? If, if not, there might be someone tomorrow There might be someone later (laughs) today. There might be someone next week. In the power of Jesus, in the power of his forgiveness, you can forgive. In the power of Christ's forgiveness that you have received. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online and you're coming face to face with the master. Maybe you're that first servant who owed this indescribable, unfathomable debt. Maybe right here today you are coming face to face with the holy God and God has used his word through the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you of the sin and you realize who you are as you stand before a holy God. Well, Just like that servant you can fall before the king fall before our holy god our heavenly father and plead for mercy and you can find forgiveness you can find forgiveness bible says call on the name of the lord and you will be saved Says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ And the word of Christ says that you can be forgiven through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he has done for you on the cross and through the power of his resurrection from the dead. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And for the rest of us, forgive as God in Christ forgave you. We go forth in that power today. Let's pray. God, as we reflect on these words, this parable that Jesus taught, it's hard. But I pray that you would constantly just remind us of the debt that has been erased on our behalf through what Jesus has done for us. May we never lose sight of that. And in our relationships with others, God, that we would have tender, a tender heart that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would forgive as God in Christ forgave us. We pray in Jesus' name.